0: So I'm Elizabeth Monson.
1: And I'm Elizabeth Meyer.
0: And we're here with our new podcast, Talking to Myself.
1: And we started this podcast as a way for us to sort of walk through and discuss ideas about career considerations, self-betterment, life in general. And we're going to structure it around reading books every two weeks with some other conversations in between. And Elizabeth came to me with this project, so I'm going to let her talk a little bit about why she wanted to embark on this adventure.
0: So I've wanted to do it just because I love reading this category of self-betterment, self-help, and I always find it super interesting to see kind of what ideas come out of it, but I'm rarely reading them at the same time as friends, even though I am in a book club, and so I thought this would be a fun project for the both of us, because we were both in kind of a little bit of ruts, either creatively or professionally, Um, and so I thought that might enjoy chatting with me about
1: this. Yeah. And actually I was really excited about this project because I've never read a self-help book. And I think it's because self-help gets this reputation of being really granola. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes when you're not in a really good mental place, you don't want to hear about people who are feeling very positive. It's hard because it's cyclical. But again, I was sort of in this place where, I had to just open my mind a little bit more in order to to sort of embrace something that's different, something that's new. I realized that I was at a real dead end. I mean, this couldn't have come at a more interesting time for right, me. Right. It's a
0: really interesting time for you. Yeah.
1: And again, I think we were kind of both in those ruts, but I had sort of just hit rock bottom <laughs> with my very corporate job and, you know, I... I decided that I wanted to quit and I had nothing else lined up. And I think that that's really scary.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I think that that's probably the perfect time to start reading positive things that people have to tell you about self-betterment.
0: Yeah, completely. So, so
1: this is this is going to be fun. Creative living beyond fear. Right. Which I think that part's really important. I think I was really drawn to the the whole principle that curiosity is more important than fear
0: right i have that highlighted
1: you do yeah, i bet we have course. a lot of the same highlights
0: and also now that the program's actually like highlight them for you which is kind of hard to deal with but yes i the direct quote from the book is no when i refer to creative living i'm speaking more broadly i'm talking about living a life that is driven more strongly by curiosity than by fear and i think that is a super important concept because creativity can mean so many things to different people I think creativity, especially right now, is a super important business term, but neither of us are actually artists. We both do marketing. And so obviously our, t- our take on creativity is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Gilbert definitely speaks a lot to actual artists, writers, creatives in the book. But do you feel like there was a lot of stuff that you could still apply to the
1: yeah. transition
0: in your life right now?
1: You know, so... What I was really drawn to in the beginning is that I I started reading this book while I was still working at my job, and I think it was right around the time that I decided to quit, Mm -hmm. but one of the things that she says early on, and I think the beginning of the book really resonated with me. I don't know if it's because I was reading the beginning while I was still working at my job, and then you know, I I finished it once I was a little bit more free and a little bit more clear-headed, but the beginning really spoke to me because... She says that there are creative treasures living within every single human being and yeah, that's it's a
0: big thread in the book. It really
1: is. And and that's generally not the way that people are categorized. No. People like to think that they're either left brain or right brain. And you know, Elizabeth Gilbert isn't a doctor. No. She's not a scientist, but I think that she points out a lot of things about creativity that are really interesting to consider. You don't actually have to be a sculptor or a painter or Mm -hmm. a, a traditional type of artisan to have something in your life that you're curious about that you decide to take on. And that can be creativity. And she gives some cool examples of friends of hers who, I think the earliest one is a figure skater. Oh, right, yeah. So she has a friend who was a figure skater in her youth and then realized she wasn't ever going to be an Olympian. So she stopped and she picked it up again in her forties and has never really been happier. And she didn't quit her job to do it. She woke up early in the morning to do it a few days a week. And she just sort of embraced something that made her feel like a better, happier, more clear headed person. And I think in our society, there's There's this whole expectation that if you're going to pick up a passion, you have to be the best at it.
0: Yeah, completely.
1: So, I mean... Even though
0: there's still also... I feel like there's a weird dichotomy because there's a lot of, like, I'm a part-time this and a part-time that. There's, like, slashies, as they call them. But even if you're a slashy, you're still expected to be good at both of those things.
1: Yeah. You're completely expected to be good at those things. And I think... So one of the things that I was really drawn to was the way that she speaks about picking up your creativity. And she says that humans have this tendency to just not finish things. And I can
0: relate.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can relate too. I was looking around my apartment as I was reading that and thinking about all the projects I'd undertaken that still needed a whole lot of work. And I was, I was thinking even those projects were creative for me, you know, figuring out a way to, to make my second get, guest room function as a bedroom and an office and, and and also make sure that I could store extra things that don't fit downstairs and still have it be aesthetically pleasing, that's creative.
0: Yeah, completely. I mean, one of the things that I really liked in the book was she talks about having to pursue other kinds of creativity in order to tap into your own as a way to get out of a rut. So when she was having a hard time coming up with what her next book was going to be, she couldn't even figure out what she wanted to do in her spare time, was having a really hard time. And then she decided to plant a garden in her home. And that caused her to ask more questions about where the plants came from. And she kind of just like pulled that creative thread. And she talks a lot about just allowing yourself to go with it and ask the next question and then it ended up, ended up inspiring a book that she wrote about botanical ex- exploration, which sounds kind of awesome.
1: It's really cool.
0: Um, or how Einstein, when he, was trying to solve, when he was trying to solve math problems, would have a really hard time, get stuck, and the way out of it was to play the violin. And so I'm sure he was an amazing violinist, but there's still that idea that in order to kind of work through your creativity or even work something through something that might not be creative, you need to have these creative side projects or hobbies or whatever you want to call them.
1: Yeah. So I have a question for you, because this is something that I always consider, especially because, you know, as we've discussed, I'm at this particular intersection where this book really spoke to me because I've never I've never been in the position like I am right now. Right. But one of the things that I really liked about the book was how it made me feel a little bit more open-minded about things that are usually so mundane. But I think when you're opening up your mind, it's important to figure out how you're actually going to apply those learnings to your everyday. Mm -hmm. So I felt really happy and open when I was reading about embracing my creativity. And when I was reading her anecdotes that seem so normal and plain and thinking about them in a totally new light. How do you think that you in a marketing job are going to apply, apply anything? This. Yeah. Is is there something that you've learned that you're gonna try to integrate into your your day to yeah, day?
0: Definitely. I think one of the pieces that I really loved and took from the book was she talks a lot about kind of how creativity is often seen as a struggle. So like the starving artist, the a depressed artist and she is very much against that concept and she really believes that creativity should be surrounded by happiness and positivity and that that's a choice that you can make as part of your creative process and that's something that speaks to me on a really deep level i think people really like to you know focus on how hard things are or yeah the pain in some sort of creative process but you can really choose to enjoy it, especially if it's something that you liked doing in the first place enough to get to wherever you are in that creative process. And so that's something that I definitely took from the book and I'm trying to incorporate into my daily life, even though my job isn't full creative. Um, but I also, creativity is super important to me in terms of how I live my life, even if it isn't something that I'm doing for my work. And so that's, I kind of did feel like there was a transition from the first part of the book to the second part. Like you mentioned, I don't think it was just the timing in your life because at the beginning she talks about incorporating creativity into your everyday and how it can be a hobby or it can just be a part of your life or a part of who you are. And at the end, I think she was talking more directly about being a writer, being an artist, being a filmmaker, that kind of thing, which is not how I live my everyday life. So I, I think she, she gave a lot of ways for you to incorporate creativity into your every day without having that be your profession or kind of your one thing. And I, I think the idea of living with curiosity is so exciting. And it's an exciting way to approach anything that you're doing.
1: Yeah. And I think the lesson kind of taken away from the the end portion of the book, she talks a lot about profession and, you know, she has a hard time defining what, a career is. Uh-huh. And what she says as her main takeaway is not to rely on your creativity to make you money because then you'll suppress your creativity. And so I think even if, as you're saying, you work at a job that's not a hundred percent creative, the process behind creativity is something that can certainly be applied to any type of job, which is to let go of the pressure a little bit more and just let things be and let things come to you. Mm -hmm. And she has this whole piece where she talks about the martyr versus the trickster. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That part was really fun. Do you
0: want to explain it a little bit?
1: So she says, and I'm not going to do as good of a job summarizing it because I think that she did it really beautiful, beautifully. And, and she was very succinct about, the differences between a, a creative that lives under under the principle of being a martyr and the the creative that's learned how to be a trickster and what she says about the martyr is you know the martyr's someone who will die for their work and she says the martyr's this really serious person uh-huh. and the trickster has really figured out how to work within their own circumstances and i think you know this this connects with the, the piece that you brought up earlier about the struggling, right. miserable it's side. The sense of joy the that sense comes of, with it. Yeah. And I think that this was a really, a really neat way to look at things for me because essentially she's saying that the martyr is trying to find answers to questions that are unanswerable. Mm-hmm. So that's the way that I took it. And I think I've spent a lot of time recently being like, what do I want to do with my life? And I think I've made every single move, especially in my 20s, trying to answer that question. And only very recently was I talking to someone who's young. She just graduated from from college and she was one of my interns. Mm -hmm. And she said, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And she's, you know, a full... Decade, almost younger than I am. Scary, scary, and I was like, I just have to tell her. I have to break it to her that she's not going to figure it out, right? And that actually helped me figure out that all I can do is take a next step. Mm -hmm. And I think that the trickster has basically said, I'm not going to find the answer to the problem, but I'm going to work with in the confines of this system. And I'm going to play with it a little bit. I'm going to have a little bit more fun with it. So, you know, they are being creative, but they're figuring out how to incorporate creativity without being miserable all the time and feeling like every single step is a struggle. How how did you interpret that part?
0: Yeah. I I mean, I think that it's very similar in a lot of ways. Um, She talks about She calls it like trickster trust. So the book is broken down into different sections and that piece comes up under trust. Um, And I have a quote here just from one of the ones that I highlighted. And it says, creativity wants to flip the mundane world upside down and turn it inside out. And that's exactly what the trickster does best. Um, But somewhere in the last few centuries, creativity got kidnapped by martyrs and it's been held hostage in their camp for suffering, camp of suffering ever since. And that's, yeah, basically tricksters find out how to use their creativity to actually get things done and enjoy it. And I think having that trickster mindset is something that you can really incorporate into your everyday because it takes a lot of the pressure off and it feels more fun. It's kind of like creative problem solving. Um, And I also really liked the, the sense that you kind of just have to always do whatever the next thing is because there's a lot of the momentum that comes with that. And she speaks a lot about how the creativity comes to you when you're in motion, you're not going to all of a sudden be struck by a creative, I don't know, thought or like lightning rod. If you're kind of isolating yourself or just sitting around, like you have to get out there and do whatever the next thing is or ask the next question. And that's also something that really applies outside of, just the creative realm. I mean, even like when we're decided to do this podcast, there's a lot of times when we could have just been like, no, that's a lot of work. But instead you just do the next thing and order the microphones or pick the next book that we're going to read. And it's easy to kind of, it's kind of like the rolling stone
1: yeah. thing. So we've said a lot of really good things about this book. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed reading it, but the cynic in me wonders about the self-help realm in general. Do you think that once a book starts to be categorized as self-help, it's a little bit one-sided? Like she talks about she talks about themes that I think everybody experiences and Every piece of feedback that she gives you on those themes is good advice because that's what the book is meant to be, good right. advice. But she talks about rejection, for example, a whole lot. And I feel like sometimes she really brushes off some of the deep stinging feelings of rejection. Do you, did you get the sense that she was sort of glossing over the idea of rejection or just that she'd come to terms with it by now?
0: I think that she had to include it, so that it didn't seem like her outlook was completely rosy. Like, she's clearly struggled to get where she is now, and she's very successful and can write any book, basically, and have it be published, I'm sure. Um, But, yeah, I think rejection is extremely difficult, and not every personality type is going to be able to just completely brush that off and move on to the next.
1: Yeah. It's hard. And she says... Something really interesting about rejection, too, which is that rejection is – rejection and failure. I think she says failure Mm -hmm. more specifically is tied directly to the ego. Right. So she's basically saying – and I tried to think about this. I tried to think about it professionally and I tried to think about it personally. When you fail, does it just suck because you're ashamed of yourself Or because you think other people are watching you and judging you? And if you could just get rid of that little piece that's ego, would failure not seem so horrible anymore?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, it is totally ego, right? Because even as you're going through something, anyone would tell you that you're going to learn so much more from failing than you are from succeeding. And I would tell you that just as quickly as you would tell me that. But when you're experiencing it, you're never going to tell yourself that because the ego comes into play. And I don't really think it's realistic to completely put aside ego, because who acts that way? But I do think that there is something to this idea of you have to keep moving forward, even if you do get some form of rejection. Because the worst case scenario is if you let rejection stagnate you and get in the way of what you believe in or what your dreams are. And so even if there is the smallest thing that helps you move forward, you kind of still have to take that next step.
1: Yeah. She gave this this other good anecdote. And I, I liked that she told other people's stories because it helped it it helped it feel like she wasn't the only person going through this journey. Right. Lots of other people have experienced it. And she goes she goes back hundreds of years talking about people who are dealing with their creative demons. Oh,
0: totally.
1: And she had this one story about an Australian poet, author, playwright who put on the show on a London stage. It was heavily financed and it completely flopped. And it was a failure as far as his work was considered, but it also caused some financial ruin within his family. Mm -hmm. And it severed some of his relationships with close friends. And... So he could not get out of his rut. He was just in a total shameful depression, and he had little kids, and his wife was sort of holding things together, and one of his daughters came to him and asked him to restore her bicycle.
0: Yeah, the story is really cute.
1: It's really cute. So she her, – her bicycle was a little bit shabbier than some of her classmates, and she wanted him to do a little bit of a DIY makeover on it. And he started painting it. He put some silver on the spokes. And then he started painting tiny little stars until he made a full constellation on her bicycle. And when she rode it to school, she came back the next day with a friend who asked him to paint stars on her bicycle. And so through painting little tiny stars, he realized that he wanted to still create. I think that's a really, really fun story because, you know, something that I notice about myself is that when I get into those egotistical periods of shame and I don't do anything about it, I spiral deeper and deeper and deeper. Completely. And when you take on any sort of an extra project, any project at all, I mean, and we've been doing a lot of them lately. Yeah. I learned how to embroider (laughs) recently and that's been... Keeping my mind moving.
0: I love a side project. I can like a whole episode could be me listing my hobbies. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I know it's true. And but I think I I just think that it's really interesting to think about a an accredited poet and writer painting stars on little girls' bicycles as an outlet for creativity.
0: Right, like that counts.
1: Yeah, it counts.
0: Yeah, there is a part under the persistence chapter
1: where she talks
0: about being able to recognize the different stages in a creative process in yourself. And so she talks about literally getting to the point in the process where you start to kind of like seize up and you have a really hard time moving forward or you start to imagine the bad reviews and being able to kind of get outside of your head and speak to yourself and say, okay, this is the part of the process where I start to freak out I start to like make bad decisions or I stop moving forward. Um, Do you have those moments? Can you get out of your head when you do that? Or like, do you know when that happens in a process for yourself? Reading it, it felt so familiar. But, and I know that if I would be able to step outside of my head, I could be more successful in certain ways. But that I think is something that really stands in my way. When I'm trying to get something done.
1: Yeah. So that combined with sort of this other principle that that she mentioned about honing in on what holds you up with your own creative process. Mm -hmm. I think, and this is one of the reasons that I brought up applying some of these learnings to real life. I think that sometimes when I'm in these ruts where I'm like 75% of the way and then have a total roadblock. Nothing helps me like just talking it out with some people I trust. Mm -hmm. And she has this whole piece about a writer friend of hers who can talk very eloquently in public and have very riveting conversations and then completely seize up when she tries to put those same ideas on, on paper. Oh, right. And, you know sometimes there's really nothing like a great brainstorm that's totally judgment-free where all of the ideas are free-flowing because it's within those forums that things come out of your mouth that were never in your head yet. Right. And I think she talks a lot about that too. She talks about ideas coming to us. And what did you think about that? Have you ever thought of an idea as an actual thing or did you think it just – because I'm – I guess I'm narcissistic and I thought all of my ideas lived inside me, but I like <laughs> I like it better thinking that ideas just float around in the universe and, and select when they're gonna yeah. land on you. I
0: mean, I, I thought that part was a little bit I, I don't even know what the word for it is, but it was
1: that's where it gets kind of
0: well not far fetched, but that's where it gets kind of more like granola-y, I guess. And I think on the flip side you could say that it could be hard to read a book like this and hear that creative ideas are supposed to just flow through you because what if you've never had that experience or I don't know, what if you feel like the ideas that are flowing through you aren't as good as what's flowing through someone else? I think that could be hard, but I definitely have had the experience of having the same idea as someone at the same time with no real connection. And it feels like there has to be something more at play there than just you guys have the same reference materials
1: Yeah. And I think she gave a really peculiar example of an idea coming to her and leaving her because she didn't make a pact with it to see it through and ultimately visiting another very well-known author. Right. And again, yeah, that's a little bit more spiritual, but How many times – I think what she tries to do for the person who has never experienced that sort of creativity flowing through them is point out to them that maybe they actually have and they just didn't recognize that that's what it was. Right.
0: They weren't open to it. I mean I definitely have had the experience of having an idea and then whatever you go on the internet the next day and someone has just – had that same idea and gotten it funded or launched some sort of project around it. And you're like, man, that sucks. Like that was my idea, but I was never going to do it anyway.
1: I think that she probably, she just phrased that experience in a different way.
0: Exactly. And turned it into a positive,
1: turned it into something (laughs) positive. Yeah. And, and she does because her whole relationship with the idea that left her and went on to someone else, this big idea is that, She decided to be grateful that it came to her in the first place and that she could hold it safe for somebody else to make something great out of it because if it left her, then it probably wasn't a good idea for her in the first place. So think about all those times where you almost executed on something and then you didn't and then you did something else and it ended up being better for you.
0: Right. Yeah. You can totally turn it into a positive. I mean, one thing that I feel like this podcast is going to help me do is like I really... I feel like there might be an idea in me, but I don't know what it is. And I'm kind of hoping that like reading different people's creative approaches to the world, to business, to creativity, to relationships, whatever we're going to end up reading might help me get there. That's my hope, but we'll see.
1: I think that's a really good goal.
0: (laughs) 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 To wrap this up, do you have, what's one thought you want to leave us with today, Meyer?
1: Elizabeth, I hadn't thought about one thought.
0: Do you (laughs) You have have one? Well, the one thing that we didn't talk about that I did really like is the concept of permission and not waiting for someone to actually give you permission to embark on a creative project pursuit or a creative life, but to basically take reading the book as your permission slip and try to just go for it. And... I also feel like that's what
1: we're doing. Yeah, that's so true. I love that. We sort of started talking about curiosity having to take precedence over fear. And I think my one takeaway is that you can be brave and terrified at the same time and that Those two descriptors can live in harmony with one another if you figure out how to embrace them both. And I think being afraid of something or having fear in something means that you recognize the magnitude of it all and embarking on a creative lifestyle is a really big decision to make for yourself. But if you do it, then just be brave about it.
0: Good scared, not bad scared.
1: Yeah, the good scaries.
0: Yeah, I like that. All right, so that concludes our first podcast episode. And we will be here next week, hopefully, just chatting and the following week discussing the book, The Power of Habit.
1: Thanks, everyone.